Welcome everybody to the Startup Blender, the podcast about startup life and some other stuff. All right, let's start. Good morning, everybody. My name is Ucha. This is the Startup Blender podcast. And today we have a very special guest in the building, Patrick from Verif. Good to see you. Hi, Ucha. How's it going, man? <laughs> It's going great. How's it going with you? Yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. I Well, like I said to you before we started this, I passed my driving exam last week. So that's, uh, that's a, a massive life event. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, from the accent, you would uh, already figure out that he's from the UK, right? I am. But he lives in Estonia. He works at Verif. Um, but tell us more about yourself. Who are you? What you do? It's <laughs> <laughs> a very deep question. Who are you? Who are you? So yeah, I uh, I am Patrick Johnson. I work for Verif, that is true, and I do live in Estonia. I've lived in Estonia since October 2013. Wow, pretty. So coming up to eight years yes. this year. Um, before that, I lived in London for a few years. Before that, I was at university in Southampton. And before that, originally, I'm from a place in England called Poole, which <laughs> is very much on the south coast. Uh, if you Google map it, you'll see it's right next to the water. Um, so, uh, yeah, so I did a lot of acting. I did drama at university. I then went to a drama school in London, uh, which is why I was living there. And while I was at my drama school, that's where I met my now wife, who is Estonian. And that's how I ended up in Estonia, like uh, a lot of other foreign men living in Estonia. Uh, an Estonian yeah. woman goes abroad, meets a foreign man, falls in love, and then you both end up coming back here. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so, so yeah. You I, met in university? Uh, in drama school. We met in drama school, yeah. So you wanted to become an actor? I did. I did want to become an actor. Yeah. It was very much a dream and a life goal. And uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I not quite... I spoke about it recently on uh, Verif Snack and Learn, which is like the internal talks we do um, about, uh, and you can talk about different topics. People talk about their work stuff, but I talked more about my experience of like training as an actor and obviously not being one. Um, uh, and I said that maybe the thing with acting is it's not a dream that necessarily dies yeah. just because you're not doing it now. It's something that could come back one day. But That's true. For the time being, it's, uh, I'm very much, I have my job here and I think I'm, I'm not going to Hollywood tomorrow, I'll say <laughs> that. Uh, maybe I'm, next month. Yeah, maybe next month, yeah. <laughs> but, but no, I, I loved acting. I didn't really start doing acting until I was a teenager and then, yeah, I suppose I caught the bug and I really liked it and I obviously well, did How, how did you start? Did you take part in some plays? Uh, yeah, yeah. I did some small like <coughs> plays with uh, groups and then my parents, my mum uh, studied acting when she was younger and I was quite a shy kid. And so when I came to choose my A-levels, she said, oh, why don't you consider drama? because maybe it would help you kind of open up, come out of your shell a bit. And I was like, hmm, maybe, maybe, maybe. And, uh, and yeah, my first drama teacher at school when I did it at A-level uh, was very good. He was a guy called Steve Evans. 
And what's funny is he wasn't actually the drama teacher. His wife was the drama teacher at the school and she left to go on maternity leave. Ah, and he okay. came in to replace her. Okay. And they were both, they were a couple, they so were a married couple of drama teachers. Yeah, it's very funny. <laughs> sharing family responsibility. Yeah, absolutely. And he, uh, but he really, I remember very early on, he said to our class, he said, anyone can be an actor which I, I think I even said on my snack and learn, I'm not sure he was right, but he was caught, sort of giving us the confidence to believe in ourselves and really, like, if you're going to do this course, like, really commit and you can do this. And uh, I think his support really helped me kind of gain this confidence that, oh, no, I can do this. I can be on stage, be in front of people, sort of learn a script and then deliver it well. And, uh, and I think that probably helped fuel me in my desire to do this. And then, yeah, when I did it at university, my university course was okay. I mean, it wasn't like, it wasn't brilliant. And if you study drama at university in England, unless it's a really good university, it's not really gonna lead you anywhere. You really do have to go to a proper drama school. And so that's how I then ended up going to acting school in London uh, later, which was like a two year acting course. Um, Did you have stage fright in the beginning? Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, and I, I'm not sure. I don't know if I've ever had actual stage fright. I think then you probably wouldn't go on stage. But <laughs> but the nerves, you always get the nerves. Now even yeah. the guy who ran my uh, drama school uh, even said, and I think a few people have said it, that if you don't have the nerve, something's wrong. Because if you're going on stage in front of people, of course you should be nervous. It's yeah, natural. Yeah. Um, but it helps, it does help your mind focus and it helps you pull out a better performance, I think, because you're, you're thinking, okay, I have to, I have to make a good impression on these people. I have to, if you're going out to do a play, you want to entertain them and uh, give that uh, suspensive, like, the sense of disbelief that they suspend their rational belief and they kind of are watching and they're in the story. They're not thinking these are actors on a stage. They're believing everything they're seeing. And if you're nervous, then it gives you that adrenaline rush That's that you true, need yeah. to just be in the moment. Yeah. yeah, the way it happens to me is, so on the day when I go to the stage and I have to present something, um, I cannot eat anything on that day before going to the <laughs> stage. I'm super nervous. But then when I go... I'm not nervous at all, but I don't remember anything I do on the stage. I might, I mean, <laughs> I might say all the stuff. And then I come back and eat a lot. <laughs> and then I try to watch the recording of what, <laughs> what I did on the stage. I find it hard. I do find it really hard to yeah. watch myself on screen. Like, it's not, um, I think a lot of actors say that, but it is hard. Like, because you're your own worst critic, and so you see everything you did wrong. You don't really ever see the good stuff. And when you talk about re remembering or forgetting everything you've done on stage, I think there are moments I remember from things I've performed, but you remember the fuck-ups more than oh, you yeah. remember yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the good bits um, <laughs> always. So, uh, yeah, like I did one performance towards the end of acting school. So the last six months were the public season, which is where you perform a series of like, uh, we did a musical review and then we did a bunch of plays. And one of the plays... Uh, basically he did two short plays as one performance and so one half of it i was the lead character and it was just me and one other guy on stage for quite a long time and uh generally that play went really well but one night he like fucked up a line like he completely forgot his line yeah. and so he sort of 
mumbled a line <laughs> and I knew what my next line was but I was sat there I was sat on a bench with him and I was looking at him and in my head I was thinking shit and so I said my line as it was but I changed the inflection to oh, sort yeah. of try and see like I was <laughs> responding to what he had just said uh and I thought, okay, and it got him back into the flow and then he remembered his line and we were fine. And then after the performance, we came off stage and his wife was there that night, who I knew because obviously we'd been at acting school at that point for a year and a half, so he sort of knew everyone. And she came up to me and she said, oh, you did really well. And she said, I, I figured everything was going fine until Andy said that line and, and you made a face like... <gasps> <laughs> oh god <laughs> and she said you you know you did the right line and then everything was fine but she said I saw that split second of just absolute fear <laughs> like oh my god it's all gonna go wrong well who who was your kind of in- inspiration to getting to this or mm, in terms of acting yeah uh, so when uh, when I did that snack and learn the actor I mentioned was Johnny Depp who I still like I when I was a teenager I really loved him and I remember watching the first Pirates of the Caribbean and thinking god this looks like fun imagine <laughs> going to work and getting paid to dress up like a pirate and yeah. kind of just have a laugh uh, obviously I mean the problem with Johnny Depp now is obviously everything that he's done in his private life makes me go oh just you've really ruined everyone's perception <laughs> the hero, of him. Yeah. yeah which is a shame like he he was always quite a um, quite an enigmatic character i think and he clearly had this thing of like being famous but not courting fame or at least for a long time when he he had this relationship with Vanessa Paradis and he had kids and he seemed quite if, even if he was going out and drinking and doing drugs, as I'm sure tons of famous people do, it wasn't, it wasn't that he was in the papers for it. But then when that relationship ended and he obviously then had his next marriage, God, it's all just everything's getting dragged through the courts. And it seems like he certainly conducted himself in a way that I'm like, oh, man, <laughs> you really like shit all over your own legacy just by just being a horrible human being. Um, but then there are other actors, obviously, since him and since, like, looking at him as an actor and liking what he does, there are other actors who I really liked, like um, uh, Michael Fassbender, I think, is very good. Uh, who else do I really enjoy watching? Chadwick Boseman obviously passed away recently, but he was excellent. Heath Ledger, I've always really adored. When he died, I was absolutely heartbroken, so I thought he's just a fantastic actor. Um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt as well, I really enjoy. I think he does kind of characters, he plays his characters really well. There's like a big stream of British actors who are brilliant, like uh, Daniel Kaluuya, who just won an Oscar, he's very good. John Boyega, John Boyega. See, there's an actor. John Boyega, very good actor, really good in Attack the Block, very good in Star Wars, generally just a good actor, good, uh, very good in Small Acts, which was on TV recently. But also the way he conducts himself off screen in that he lives what he believes and he's very outspoken, he's very brave mm-hmm. in the statements he makes. That's an actor that you look at and go, yeah, I'm, I'm proud that you're British, I'm proud that you're <laughs> part of the acting community, I'm proud that you do stuff like this, that you stand up for, uh, obviously he was at Black Lives Matter protests and he's, he's a young black man and he was very outspoken in his kind of uh, 
uh, in the way that he went and spoke at those protests, in the way he conducted himself. And I think he even came out and said, oh, I was worried it would ruin my career. I was like, if anything, it's going to exp- enhance your career because people go, oh, wow, he's, he's kind of living who he is. And that uh, I really liked that. But yeah, but Fassbender is someone I really love watching uh, as well. To go back to him, I, I just think... Every time he's on screen, he exudes this like his the way he inhabits characters, the way he acts. He's yeah, top notch. So, but there's yeah, there's loads of actors I enjoy watching and actresses as well. Like uh, I was, I always think, should I say actress or just? I mean, everyone's an actor. Actor is the profession. Doesn't matter. It's weird to uh, uh, differentiate, but yeah. No, I was watching a video recently about Titanic, and I think Titanic is a funny film because you think our Titanic like romantic dramatic but actually it was a uh is a youtuber called nerd writer who's very good and he went into what titanic is as a film as a melodrama <clears throat> and why it works really well and why it hits certain emotional cues and it was just uh, the video was very interesting definitely worth looking up but kate winslet really fantastic yeah. actor like yeah obviously I think probably since Titanic, I've always watched her films and thought, ah, you're so good at this. <laughs> so. Oh, that's amazing. That's great to hear your yeah, opinions. <laughs> yeah, the podcast is not about that. I'm always willing to. Amazing, yeah. Um, and you said, so in uh, London, you met your, well, already your wife and yeah. you moved into Estonia. Mm-hmm. So what was your first impression about this country? Uh, how did you like it? Um, so we came here on holidays at first. I think we came in 2012. Um, and like the thing was, of course, we were living in London, which is very populated, very busy, very fast pace of life. And we came to Tallinn and I was like, oh, oh, there's breathing space around me. Um, and her parents at, at the time were living outside of Tallinn in a place called Vida, which is about 20, 25 minutes out of Tallinn. Um, but compared to London, it felt like the countryside yeah. uh, because it kind of is. Um, and uh, so when I came here, I was like, wow, this is very different. Like the silence uh, and the fact you could see the stars. I remember that's a funny thing that you don't even appreciate living in London. When you go somewhere where there's not the smog and the clouds, you're like, oh, that's what stars look like. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I really liked it initially. Like, I did really sort of fall in love with uh, the old town and the, uh, the architecture, the style, the fact that it was a much slower pace of life that you felt like you had sort of time on your hands. You didn't have to rush everywhere. And more relaxed and chill. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so I I did like, certainly the first couple of times I came, I had a really good impression. And then uh, in 2013, uh, my wife came back to study at university. So we finished acting school, uh, but she had gone straight to acting school. So she, she didn't have a degree. And she was like, right, I'm going to come back and I'm going to study at university so that I have that as well. Uh, and, uh, and ultimately, yeah, we did have discussions about should I stay in London? Should I come? And there was nothing really tying me down to stay there. Um, 
So I then obviously moved in the October, and before I even moved, I got a job. <laughs> so she emailed around uh, some like uh, language schools, sort of saying, "Oh, uh, my boyfriend is going to move here. He's English. Uh, do you have any need for a native English speaker?" Um, and one school basically said, "Yeah, uh, if he wants to come and have an interview, he can." And so I came over for a week, and I went and did the interview. Uh, and then they gave me a job as an English teacher. And so, yeah, literally, I think I moved. I can't remember whether I moved on a weekday or a weekend, but the next week I started working <laughs> as an English teacher. Wow. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I don't like. I look back on that and I think. I wasn't very good. I was, I was fine. Like I was okay, and maybe there's a benefit just to hearing someone speak the language for whom it is there. And back then, there were I don't know, but I guess there were not that many internationals in Estonia, right? Um, I think that no. I mean, I think there were. I think there probably was. The the community was definitely already existed, um, but. Uh, But yeah, initially, because we were living with her parents for the first six months, it was hard anyway because we weren't in Tallinn as much. Oh, yeah. um, and that, like, that in itself is funny that I was coming to Tallinn and then I had to kind of get back out of Tallinn <laughs> to get back at, at, at that time to home. Um, and obviously, I've only recently passed my driving test, so I didn't have a car. <laughs> so there was a lot of uh, knowing bus schedules. Um, but, uh, but yeah, like... No, I mean, one of her friends uh, who she knew from school, her husband is from New Zealand mm. and he had moved here yeah. not that long before me. So initially we became very close friends because, yeah, of course, yeah. we were living quite a similar existence <laughs> of coming to a country where we weren't from, uh, where we didn't speak the language. Um, and, yeah, so you kind of had an instinctive connection between you. Um, but then, uh, but yeah, so I was teaching English for a while. Uh, and obviously I wasn't also, the other thing was, yeah, I didn't have this instant like community around me, even though I was learning Estonian when I was teaching in that language school, uh, they gave me an Estonian course for free. So I had like on my course, what were there? There was, uh, two French guys, another English teacher from the school, I think, Were there two Latvians? Um, or maybe a Latvian or Lithuanian? Uh, but yeah, so it was, yeah. It was a quite a diverse group. Diverse group yeah. But it was, yeah, seven or eight of us. So, oh, I mean, it was the community, I think, yeah, was already yeah. here. It was just kind of slowly building. Because at that point, if you think, uh, I know we'll get on to where I went to work, but TransferWise was two years old. Mm -hmm. So they, I mean, they certainly had hoovered up a few international people, but as we know, they would hoover up a lot more soon. So, um, yeah. But yeah, so like, yeah, I was teaching English and I worked in Bet Genius as well for a while. Like I had both jobs at the same time. So how was this job of being an English teacher in Estonia? Um, uh, it was interesting uh, in that I taught quite diverse groups. So mainly the contract I had was with Ericsson. So I was teaching sort of their HRE people and their management or like, I think they were sort of middle managers. It wasn't the upper managers, but it was kind of management level people. Um, and so I remember I taught a group of uh, women who were predominantly uh, Estonian. And then I had groups who were predominantly Russian um, or certainly Russian speaking anyway. 
uh, and it was funny the the different dynamics I would have with the classes yeah. uh, because yeah I found like the Russian speakers were kind of they were a bit more sort of uh, they had a bit more fun like it was a bit more open a bit more conversational with the Estonians it was a bit more like teaching but they did like warm up as lessons went on and so it was quite like when, particularly when I was going because I was going to Ericsson to teach lessons there because I think they were in their own environment so they're a bit more comfortable it was a bit more like easy when we were at the school it was a bit more because uh, the the classrooms were in Tamsare uh, uh, Tamsare Arikeskus uh, so it was a bit like clean and sort of it was my environment so they were having to come there and yeah it was a bit more you had to get them out of their shelves to get them talking um, and then I was basically we had exercises that we went through but I was also doing conversational stuff and I was trying to pick up on obvious mistakes or obvious cues that I was like if you can kind of find the way to overcome that then it might become a bit more easy and a bit more fluid to sort of get the the natural sound of the language because I remember one of the funniest ones and I think it's, I still meet Estonians who do it was uh, one woman used to say aga all the time which is but oh. and I say but a lot as well like you go ah oh, but uh, but uh uh, and so she would be speaking quite good English and she'd go blah 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 oh, aga. <laughs> and I'd be like you, you said it again <laughs> um, and Estonians also do it with knee knee yeah 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 one of my English friends does that almost <laughs> as a, a parody that when I say oh and he goes knee yeah. and I'm like <laughs> <laughs> like we don't say so uh, unless we're being funny but uh, but yeah and then oh, what's the other one? Oh, and the other the other really common uh, thing in Estonian is because they don't have gender so they don't say he or she uh, they either uh, they very often mix the genders yes, maybe. so when uh, there was always the challenge when I was talking to someone about having kids that they would talk about their son and then they'd say she and I'd be like you got a son or a daughter <laughs> or, or, or vice versa and I'm kind of I, had, what I, it means. I just had this moment in the back of my head going wait what <laughs> and and then I would and then yeah I realised quite quickly like it's because of pa yeah. and that's why they do this all the time and, and I'm like okay you just kind of you have to sort of say wait what and then they go oh sorry he blah and yeah it's that it's just an instinctive language thing that's very interesting I mean it's and it's cool as well that as you learn about different European languages and languages where they do have gender and items become gendered <laughs> it's like that's weird man it's only <laughs> kind of onto the right track having no gender for for this it's just the sort of blanket you um, which is kind of nice so yeah and it's weird like a chair being feminine or masculine and stuff <laughs> like that you're like no, it's, you know it's an, it's an inanimate object it's a thing <laughs> so yeah uh, well that's true actually but then after uh, being a teacher uh, you started working at uh, TransferWise so your yeah. startup life started uh, how it did is. that come up uh, so uh, as I said I was working at Bet Genius as well so I was working as a teacher working at Bet Genius um, and then uh, a friend who I got to know because of uh, my wife being at university she's an American guy called Antonio um, he had got a job at TransferWise I think in the August uh, of 2014 it would be 
And I think we had talked about him interviewing there. And then he messaged me, I think, in September. And he said, oh, he said, look, I've been here for a month. It's a really great place to work. I think you would really fit in. If you're interested, you should you should definitely apply. Uh, and I was like, oh, cool. Okay. Um, and so I applied. I went there and did the interview uh, for customer support. Uh, so the initial interview was with, uh, I, were they both team leads at that point? But it was with uh, two women who worked there. One was Australian, one was Estonian. Oh. Um, and they interviewed me. And it was a really nice kind of interview, quite back and forth, quite fun. Uh, and then the next second interview was with the head of customer support. Uh, who was a guy called Yorma at the time. Um, and he uh, that was like the easiest interview you'll ever have. It was like a chat. It was very casual, quite fun. Yeah, that's what they do in Transforce. I, I was, well, it wasn't very successful when he was there, but it was such a good chat. Mm. I think it was more than one hour. But then they said, ah, it's not what we're looking for. <laughs> well, that, that's why it's important to know each other. as I yes. Like to be friends, then you understand each other really yeah. well. So if one fuck. So. Yeah, yeah, and it just, and also, yeah, to know the text inside out so that you know the flow. Of, yeah. Like it should feel natural, it should feel like speech, not something you've remembered. But also, when they fuck up, as long as you know it really well, you can kind of adapt or if you have to improv a line to get you back on track then fine but yeah don't cut out a whole scene people have done that as well right? <laughs> performances and someone said the wrong line and you're like well just skip three pages better keep going <laughs> but yeah so my chat with your I remember he made a joke at the time because obviously I I was only a year out of acting school yeah. and he said oh so he said if Hollywood calls tomorrow then we can expect to lose you <laughs> and I was like I'm in talent man if Hollywood calls tomorrow I'll be really surprised <laughs> um, but uh uh, but yeah, we talked about the fact that I was a big football fan and uh, the fact that I'd been to acting school. Just talked about life in general. And um, and so it was a very cool uh, interview. And then I think not long after I got offered the job and I was, I was really happy. Like... I could sense when I had gone to the I, when I'd done both interviews. I thought, "Wow, this yeah. is this is a really cool place to work." Um, and I I had never worked at a startup before. I'd never experienced something like that. Um, and then yeah, they sent me an email. And they were like, "Yep, yeah, we're going to offer you the job. You start in November." So I had quite like I think I had a month and a bit or a month to wait. And I was sad. I was literally <laughs> like, "Can I start next week?" <laughs> I can just go. Yeah, yeah, because at Bet Genius at the time, you could basically say, "I'm going to leave," and they would go, "Cool, good luck. Yeah. Please sign this piece of paper." You didn't have to give notice. Um, and my teaching had really wound down at that point as well because I, because Bet Genius had gone up. And so I was doing some private teaching, but I wasn't doing classes anymore. Um, so I just had to sort of say to the people I was teaching, oh, I'm going to take this other full-time job. You know, you'll need to find another teacher. And people were kind of genuine, generally pretty cool. Um, but yeah, so I had to wait. And then I started on the 5th of November, which of course I can't forget because of the 5th of November. Um, and the first two weeks at the time were like in a classroom because they were like there's so much to learn we need to teach it to you (laughs) Um, and uh, yeah so like I started with a team uh, now I'm challenging myself can I remember everybody I started with probably Uh, but I started with a team and it was like a South African a Singaporean uh, not Singaporean he was from uh, Myanmar South African, a guy from Myanmar, but he ended up living in Singapore later on when we were at Transwise. Uh, two Estonians, uh, a Ukrainian, was Alexander Ukrainian, and then another Russian Estonian, Andre. 
I think that might be my whole starting group. Six plus me, seven. Maybe that's it. Anyway, uh, <laughs> not that important. But we had our uh, we had our first team lead, which a guy called Andre, who I think he's still now the head of customs support there in Tallinn. So he's now doing Yorma's job. Yeah. The guy who interviewed me, um, but uh, but he was a brilliant team lead. Like he was so he was funny and he was affable and he kind of got us. He really understood what we needed to be to fit into Transwise and he he just gave you that energy and that support to really start in a positive way um, because of course yeah you had to learn a lot before they let you loose on like phone calls yeah. so initially I think the first week uh, maybe the first week we were in the classroom the second week we were doing emails a bit but they were very like they were checking every email yeah. sent so you'd sort of go, you'd get an email, you'd write the response, you'd get someone to look at it, they go, yeah, cool, send it. Uh, and then as time went on, they were like, right, you're going to sit next to someone, listen to some phone calls, then you're going to take some phone calls. And then they sort of slowly built you up. So you did emails, phones, and chat. Um, and yeah, it was just like, it was such, uh, it very quickly became such a great place to work. And as an English person who, uh, particularly the first year in Estonia, it had been hard to like make really good friends yeah, to, to, uh, to go into that community where there are a few other English people. There was Antonio, of course, who, who told me to go and work there. Um, uh, and people who uh, admittedly, yeah, understood why football was so important because <laughs> Estonians, like, didn't really get it. They're like, oh, they yeah. don't care. They were, like, they were like, yeah, football, man. But <laughs> then I had English people yeah. in front of me who I could say, oh, football. And they'd be like, yes, yeah. football. football. It really matters. <laughs> and I was like, yes, finally, people who get this. Um, and, uh, and so it became like, yeah. It was the kind of home away from home that the work, it was so nice to be there, so nice to spend time with the people that you did end up working almost harder because you liked being there. Yeah. Um, the company also tried to like motivate you, right? Like doing different kind of events. Oh yeah, of course, yeah. Like, and that as well. I've heard a lot about transport. Yeah, yeah. I think I had been there. So I started in November and the January was the first winter days that I experienced. They don't do winter days anymore because it's kind of, I don't think every company does winter days anyway. I think a lot yeah. of companies just do a Christmas party. Yeah. But there was a period where companies were doing winter days and summer days. Um, and yes, yeah, so I did the first Transwise winter days, which was at Laulasmar Spa. Uh, mm-hmm. And they did a like a, a racing day at Leitzer, which is a rally park. I missed that because I had to work because I was quite new. Yeah. What happened was uh, they basically picked customer support people who, while they did the fun stuff on Saturday, had to work at the same time. Um, and I can't remember. Uh, I mean, we got paid, obviously, but I can't remember. It was, I don't think it was double pay or anything like that, but it was just like they really appreciate yeah, that you yeah. were willing and I didn't have a driver's license so I couldn't drive a lot of the cars I couldn't have done the go-karting but I was like I wasn't too sad to miss it and so I think there were like five or six of us in the sort of hotel restaurant just sat there throughout the day answering emails answering oh, chats okay. um, and so it was, yeah it was fine I didn't mind too much but like the the party element of that winter days the, uh, there was like a little concert DJs, all the kind of things you'd expect. And it's sauna, really good yeah. sauna, yeah. Yeah, because there was a pool. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the first night was a pool party. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was really like, 
it was fun. Like they did games, like they did pool race, like swimming races, and like. Uh, but then, yeah, the party element of it was just great fun. Like, you yeah, know, you give a lot of young people an opportunity to swim about, have fun, have alcohol, uh, and have a generally nice time. Like people are going to really enjoy themselves, and also obviously we all had kind of a bed to stay in, so we were all like happy and comfortable. And yeah, um, that's amazing. it was nice. But yeah, the other thing they did was and this speaks to an element of startup culture which as I've gone along I've gone ah is this good uh, was that when things got like overly busy they would have these sort of cue bashing parties where they would buy pizza and they'd be like come in uh, and you also got the time back it's not like they expected your time for nothing but I remember going in one Saturday and I think I did eight hours like I wasn't scheduled and obviously I got the eight hours they said you can use them yeah if you want to take half day or a whole day off later, they're yours. They're kind of in the bag. Um, and you got lunch for free and like, but it was very much a kind of team spirit, build the team, let's yeah, it's beat, it's, beat the email queue. But I'm also, I think as time went on, you, you started to go, the more customers you get, the bigger this email queue is going to get. You can't keep doing this. There has to be, you have to start to think about ways to like, uh, to not optimize is sort of the right word, but meh, but like work out how to sort of deal with these things yeah. beforehand so that you don't get quite so many emails. I remember Yorma used to say that every company should aspire to not even need a customer support team because the product works so well. Huh. And at the time, I was like, yeah, but that's wildly unrealistic because there's always going to be people who have a problem. But I also kind of get what he means now that I'm like, Actually, the better the thing you build is, the smaller a customer support team you need. Exactly. Yeah. So you, it's good to have like a few people who are very good at it, but the less they have to deal with, that means the better the thing you're doing is. Um, or you could argue that, or you just don't have enough customers, and then maybe you just need to like push your product. But, uh, but yeah, and obviously, and as an inevitable, inevitably. Transwise customer support team grew and grew and grew and grew. It's, it's huge, but I mean, it's very good as well. But that's the one thing that you would say about them is that they're, the quality of the customer support has never like flagged or got worse yeah. because of the culture of the company, because of the values. They've always known who they're hiring and the people they're hiring are kind of going to fit and they're going to be good from day one. And so, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's one of those companies where they value people a lot. It's yeah. It's a strategy called people over profit. So if you put a lot of motivation on people, this means more profit in long run. So then mm -hmm. that's kind of a good example. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And obviously, unlike when I joined, uh, you still got share options at the beginning, which a lot of the kind of startup companies do. And if you stay for four years, then you get all of them. But they vest as you're uh, as you're staying there. So we we've had that in Verif as well. Um, and because uh, I was there for yeah just over three years, so I got you know three quarters of the options, which was like. At the time, I was like, "Oh, these are nice share options." I didn't, I didn't know what they meant, but now I really appreciate <laughs> yeah, no, what, how much they can pay off. And, uh, and I'm That's like, "Oh, amazing. okay, this is yeah. cool." But I know that uh, TransferWise and now Wise, <laughs> we should definitely mention that, um, was the place for you where you kind of started. Uh, to go on the direction where you are right now. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's... Yes. You changed yeah, the yeah. position there. Uh, did you become a copywriter there? Or I didn't, no. You so were I, writing something, right? Yeah, so basically, uh, at the time when I joined, I think they didn't even have 300 employees yet. And, you know, they're near 
2000 now, maybe they're even yeah, over it. Yeah. But uh, by the time when I joined, there was a lot of like scope to go into different positions to find the, the your niche. And uh, I basically, I think I first, at one point I applied to be a team lead in customer support and they didn't get it. And then there was this opportunity where they said, oh, we need someone to help with writing our FAQs. Uh, and it was a, uh, another British guy doing it. He's now really good friends with me, Dave. Um, he uh, he was doing the FAQs by himself, I think, and he needed someone to help him. Um, so he did interviews with uh, people for it was basically like a kind of an, an assistant to him. Um, and so I started helping Dave. So I was doing the FAQs uh, with him, and then he changed role in Transferwise. So then I. I, th- I can't remember whether we did an interview process or I just effectively stepped into his shoes. Uh, but I took over like yeah. the knowledge-based management is what they called it. Um, so I was writing FAQ articles, refining FAQ articles, like adding new... So there were certain ones, like when we added a new currency, you had to add like a big collection. Yeah. Um, but then it was also looking for spots where customer support would say, look, lots of customers are asking this specific question. If we put up an FAQ article, then we have something we can ping out in emails or via chat. So we don't have to be writing it every time. Um, and uh, yeah, It's still kind of customer support. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. But as, as I went on doing that, and then I think for a while I was helping our SEO and blog team uh, towards the end before I left, and I started to think, oh, like I quite enjoy the creative writing element of it. Um, FAQs are much more factual, so you have a bit less fun. Although I definitely slipped some some stuff into the FAQs, like that I thought was funny anyway. Um, <laughs> some uh, jokes, then. yeah, yeah, just subtle things <laughs> that I thought, okay, like because Transwise Transwise's brand, even if you look at it now, it's very consistent in that they do have like character and humanity. Yeah. They're not very, I think it's their thing that, you know, they are, they were born as a disruption to the traditional financial industry and they still sort of live that even, even now when they have so many employees, when they're worth a, a truckload of money, <laughs> many trucks, many, many, many trucks, trucks. <laughs> um, uh, they still have this belief that, you know, you treat your customers well, you yeah. speak like a human. And so there, there was that scope, even in FAQs, to, to have that sort of smile on your face. Um, but our marketing, the marketing department in Transwise were all based in London. Um, and I remember a while before I left, so they had the very first copywriter was a guy who, when I joined, was a customer support team lead who lived in Tallinn. Yeah. And then he ended up moving to London. He became the one copywriter. And he was very good, like very good at his job. Uh, uh, and he, I remember having a meeting with him once where I was talking to him about stuff. And he said, normally I would write something, then I'll delete something like three quarters of it. Then I'll rewrite it a few times <laughs> just to perfect what he had. Um, and uh, But you could see it in his work. Yeah. He was very good. And then they hired another copywriter called Claire. Uh, and she was really good. She was very supportive. Uh, I remember having meetings with her and we were talking about like copywriting and getting into it. But what became clear was it would be hard really to be a part of that marketing team or that side of Transwise if you're not in London. Um, and I did uh, have an offer 
uh, sort of with the job title copywriter for the SEO team. But I think basically I had come to a point where I had, in my head, I had sort of decided to leave, decided it was time for something new. And so I went to uh, a company called Leaping, uh, where they hired me as a copywriter. And a friend who had worked with me in Transwise, she had gone to work for Leaping and she had really uh, sold me to them. Uh, I think she came to Transwise with one of the, the founders of Leaping to have a meeting with me about like uh, writing in English in their FAQs and like how to structure them and why it's important. And I remember he left that meeting and he said to me, oh, he said, so you think our next move really should be to hire a native English speaker? I was like, yeah, that would be a good move. Uh, and of course, funnily enough, it ended up being, <laughs> yeah, um, however many months later. I think we had that meeting in the summer, like a July, and then I joined in uh, December. Um, and so... I had accidentally, at that time, I wasn't even thinking of leaving. You recommended yourself. I had accidentally positioned myself <laughs> as the ideal hire. Uh, but yeah, uh, yeah, my friend Eglid, uh, she really sold me to leap in. And then they, we, I did an interview with them. They weren't, I th- they hadn't really, I don't know that they'd ever advertised the role, but they basically wanted to talk to me first because I was quite keen to talk to them. And so I had a meeting with one of the founders and the the head of marketing at the time. Uh, And yeah, they offered me the role of copywriter. And then I went in there. And so I ended up, yeah, working there for two and a half years before coming to Verif. But but while I was there, obviously, a lot of things changed. They completely changed the name of the brand. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, They hired a CMO um, uh, who ended up leaving before I did. But... uh, but he uh, he came in with a kind of different energy and like I think he joined as we were doing the rewrites from Leaping to Zola or maybe we didn't change the name but we worked like a ton together on like rewriting the website and uh, uh, repositioning not necessarily repositioning the company but kind of trying to make it into a new brand like really giving it an overhaul um, in terms of the marketing messaging uh, but uh, but yeah Zolo is the next part of the story I suppose yeah but back at Transwise like yeah so the big challenge was moving was moving from customer support and but keeping that mindset of like when you're writing FAQs you have to be thinking about the customer and actually when you're writing marketing you have to be thinking about the customer um, and you ultimately have to remember that you have to talk Transwise had to have a unified voice even in the FAQs in everything we did so that particularly when you're th- thinking about people's money you don't want them to be suspicious at any point um, particularly because with Transwise you're not doing anything to their money like everything they do is in the, the kind of customers they want to give the best possible experience the lowest possible fee they want to do it as fast as possible um, and so you want customers to always feel that the trust yeah uh, and so but I guess you had uh, an advantage because you did customer support before exactly so, yeah. exactly and uh, yeah I, at the time I was like it was really valuable and the funny thing was the longer it had been since I'd done customer support and I was writing FAQs the more I had to like ask people yeah. and be like oh, what's going on like what are people asking what's kind of what are the problems at the moment yeah. to sort of properly understand um, and actually yeah if you're going to do copywriting, I think that's 
for a company like TransferWise anyway, where ultimately the customers are like people on the other end of uh, who are sending money internationally, you have to understand them and understand their concerns to make sure you're putting the messages out that kind of make them feel safe, mm-hmm. that, you know, TransWise, and TransWise is safe. Like, I'm still in groups on Facebook and I, you still see complaints like, oh, where's my money? Like, what's going on? Um, you had to remind yourself when you're in customer support, that's like, that's not the majority of the customers. The majority of the customers you'll never talk to because they're happy and their money went fine. <laughs> uh, it's the minority who are very upset and something has gone wrong. And it's not, it wasn't always Transwise's fault. In fact, it was very rarely Transwise's fault. And it's not, you can't put it on the people because there were points where you went, okay, we need to change something in the product or change something in the UX or change something in the copy so that they understand like so that we understand like what went wrong for them and how can we make it possible that other customers don't make that mistake so that money doesn't end up stuck somewhere or you never got the money in the first place, et cetera. Uh, so that people get like, oh, this is what you need to do. Um, and they've, you know, they've got methods now, mechanisms, which have kind of a lot of the problems, the big problems that were there when I was working there just aren't non-existent now. Yeah, well, your company developed so much yesterday. But then after leaving TransferWise, that's when your copywriter journey started. Yes. In Zolo. Yeah. Um, I guess your old, like, from the drama school that you really wanted to become an actor, that also came back. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, what I've always said is I think it's like this creativity and yeah. the, the desire to do something where the, potentially it's a thing where you're you are speaking to an audience not in the same way that you're on stage there right there but if you're putting words on a web page on a blog or on the faqs ultimately someone is reading your words yeah. um, and so yeah it's it's writing more than acting but it's still this desire to do something where i get to like create and Connect emotionally. Uh, connect emotionally, yeah, and, and effectively sort of uh, perform through writing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, and it was it was like I'm thankful to Leap In slash Solo that they took a punt on me because obviously before that I hadn't had the job title copywriter, but they were kind of willing to give me that opportunity. Um, and the funny thing was, of course, the first thing I did when I went in was read all their FAQs. <laughs> and so the first couple of weeks were spent just kind of combing through those and like cleaning up where I thought they could be a bit more, bit better worded, a bit more streamlined, and also looking at the website and making sure that what I was writing wasn't too like kind of off message. But it should be so funny. You're leaving TransferWise. It's like, okay, I'm not going to do FAQs anymore. Here's <laughs> well, FAQs. Um, yeah, I think I knew that, though. I think I knew <laughs> that going in, that that was one of the first things I had to work on. Yeah. Um, but as we got into, like, doing landing pages and taglines and homepages, yeah, there was, uh, there was a bit more scope for creativity. And actually, one of the best things I did early on in Leaping was we did a Facebook ad uh, where I wrote it down on a notepad and it was a completely I think it was just one of those random ideas where I sort of said okay what's a customer 
like a customer approach is Leaping. So what Leaping did, I'll explain that first. What Leaping did was uh, you could become an e-resident of Estonia. So you come become an e-resident and then you want to open a business. So Leaping will help you uh, with that accounting side. So they sort of, they, they can't help you open the business, but they can hold your hand through the process of like, opening the business, uh, becoming an e-resident, opening the business, getting a bank account. And getting a bank account isn't guaranteed as well. Like they worked with LHV who were a bit more um, uh, helpful because a lot of Estonian banks had resistance with e-residents and e-residency businesses. Like I know there were periods where there, pro- where, where there were problems with Swedbank and with SAB. Uh, but LHV worked hand in hand with us. So basically, if you had got the business open and you've got a Leaping account, you were fairly well set to get an LHV bank account. It wasn't always guaranteed. There were like issues at times, but because when you open an e-residency business or become an e-resident, you had to kind of demonstrate uh, like a connection to Estonia or a reason like why you're opening a business here. Like what what's what's your what you doing here? What's the purpose? Um, and so uh, once you had the LHV account, then they would help you with like reporting your taxes and doing things like that. Uh, so it was effectively they they effectively were like an administrator for your company or an accountant for your company. They would do those things for you so that you could kind of do the business. So you could do what it was a line we used that you know you do what you do best. We'll deal with the the kind of the stuff in the background. Um, so as long as you reported all your finances to us, we could report them to the tax office, and then at the end of the year we would kind of compile an annual report and say. Just digitally sign it. Thanks. Cool. <laughs> um, and of course, digital digital signatures easy. Like living in Estonia, just got, click it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the kind of digital element of Estonia's like society is amazing. And people, the funny thing was, the people who were leaping customers were really happy. Would like shout to the heavens about how amazing it is to be an e-resident and have this business in Estonia. And it was really helpful for digital nomads as well. That like you're moving around the world, but your business is in one place. This is where it is. You get you can kind of invoice in euros. You're in a European company. Uh, your your business is based in an EU country, um, which gives you a bit more like there's a bit of credibility immediately. Um, and so it's also easier and. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And do you, so, do like, you know the new word for digital nomads? Oh, just, is there a new word? I just learned it last oh. week. Uh, location independent. Yeah, so, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we use that. I think we were using that when I joined. Like, uh, yeah, location. I mean, we had everything. We had location independent, uh, digital nomads, solopreneurs. Uh, that became Zolopreneurs when we changed <laughs> Zolopreneurs. Yeah. Um, ah, that's uh, why you changed it? No, that wasn't why we changed it. But... Uh, But yeah, like there are so many terms we kind of tested and used because we we did have periods where people would say, mm, don't know how I feel about digital nomads. Like there was there was a period where there was this kind of strange negativity. In the beginning, attached. I didn't even understand what was digital nomad. And then when it stood, I was like, all right, I want to be that. <laughs> But the like location independent is pretty self-explanatory. Mm. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, so like in terms of as a copywriter, I think I think the thing uh, initially leaping was that it, it it is a startup, but because of where the founders had come from, which was quite traditional web development, it had a very different mindset in that they tended towards uh, uh, developing something really well and releasing it. So it, rather than there's quite a startupy thing that you develop something, whack it out. 
if it breaks, if something goes wrong, you iterate, iterate, iterate. Whereas uh, it's, I think it's called waterfall development, isn't it? That you kind of develop it really well and then it goes live. You, you kind of beat the test it and, and then it goes live. It really depends on the founder and, though. Yeah, exactly. And so it took, it could take time to get anything live, which I think I even said it to people at the time, but it was kind of, it was hard because it became frustrating because like, I remember we were developing one page for a really long time because so many things were changing in the background <laughs> that I had to keep changing the text on the page. And I was like, is this ever going to go on the website? Um, what do you want? Final, tell me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but, uh, but then, yeah, they had a change of the CEO. And then with the change of the CEO later came the change of the name. Um, and then, yeah, they hired a CMO. Uh, it was another British guy who lived in London but came to Tallinn quite often. Um, but he was, very, uh, he was very good in terms of his energy, like his support he gave me personally. Um, he kind of empowered me or worked with me to try and like get good copy and like he would point you to resources where you could learn stuff about marketing and like content marketing what you're doing and messaging and and that in itself was very um that was very helpful from uh the perspective and also my teammates as well that we hired uh, a girl from singapore called nikki and i think at the time when nikki joined it was the guy who was sort of the nominal head of the marketing team or he was kind of the growth guy gustav uh it was gustav me a designer called anton who was a he was excellent very like the stuff he would put together was so good he works with bolt now and then nikki joined and i think maybe anton left in between but uh but nikki had come from a digital nomad lifestyle so she was coming from this position of like almost knowing exactly where our, our customer's mindset was and uh she also had a really big part to play in like teaching me a lot about email marketing about the power of that about what you can do with blogs and uh what you can do in terms of like understanding your customer and understanding understanding your user and like the things you can do with good landing pages with good webinars with good email marketing like how powerful these things can be because that's what she'd done as a like a mark she was marketing like as a digital nomad she was doing marketing for other companies and she just her email marketing campaigns were very well put together well devised and really smart and that's kind of i think why she was brought into leaping Uh, to, to bring that experience and bring that know-how. So working with her was really powerful as well. That's great. Um, and then, and yeah, like the marketing team built up as well. Like before I left, they had, they added like extra people. Uh, and then of course, funnily, loads of us left at the same time. <laughs> so that, that's the beauty of startup life. Yeah. yeah. People come in, people go. Come in, go. But then you left, you joined very, in very interesting times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, uh, it wasn't, and I wasn't leaving solo. I wasn't necessarily, like, looking to leave. Um, I had had an interview at one other company where I sort of knew in the interview, I thought, oh, I'm not the right person for you, uh, like, in terms of the skills I had at the time. Um, But then the Verif copywriting job came up and I had known about Verif for quite a long time. Uh, and I always thought, oh, I bet Verif would be a cool place to work yeah. because I had done identity verification in TransferWise a bit when I was in customer support. And I always thought like, it's fun. It's the, it's the closest you're going to get to being Sherlock Holmes working in a startup because <laughs> you're looking at IDs going, are you a, are you a fraudster? Are you a fraudster? <laughs> and more often than not, you went, 
No, no, I don't know. <laughs> um, uh, and you really that like, was my video the first day. Actually. Yeah, I was just questioning everything. Everything, <laughs> and you do. I think you really do because you're thinking, "Oh God, I don't want to like let the company down." <laughs> yeah. um, and the people who ultimately were like in the uh, identity verification team in Transferwise, uh, they became such experts. And I think in Verif, the same is true that you become an expert that you can see an idea. And more often than not, you know exactly what you're looking for. Yeah. And most people would look at certain stuff and go, uh, oh, no, it's real. And you go, ah, ha, ha, ha. But, <laughs> um, and uh, so Verif, I knew about, and also I then knew more about it because Gustav, who I mentioned before, he's the older brother of Karel, yeah. who is the CEO and founder of Verif. <laughs> Um, and and so I started from TransferWise. And, and Carl had worked in TransferWise. Yeah, exactly. See, it all comes together. Um, but uh, I had talked to Gustav before about, about Carl and about the company a little bit. And I think he had uh, talked to Verif a bit, like helped them out a bit when they were starting to build their marketing team. Um, uh, because, of course, he was in growth and he was in marketing. And he's a very smart, like uh, a smart guy in terms of like, growing your company and so he was giving them advice on stuff they could do um, and I think I proofread a couple of Facebook posts at one point um, just from a purely like native speaker perspective that he would say oh very I'm going to put this out can you have a quick look um, and uh, uh, and I had always thought oh, I bet it would be a cool place to work and then it came up on LinkedIn like in the suggested jobs except Verif copywriter and I was like I'm getting that job Chance. nothing is going to stop me <laughs> getting that job and so Nikki was still in Zolo at the time and I, I said to her I was like oh I think I'm going to apply for this Verif copywriting role uh, can you help me like make a, a good CV because it's been years since I made a CV and I thought I really want this job I can't send them something boring <laughs> and uh, so she was like okay uh, how about we make your CV look like a blog post um, so I think we used Canva and so what we did was we had like a web address at the top and then a blog heading. And then I, it was like uh, three reasons you should hire Patrick Johnson. And really? so it had, yeah, yeah. And so yeah, I probably still got it somewhere. <laughs> and so it had my like, I did it as three different paragraphs with uh, three pictures. And I kind of did my employment history, why I would fit in a Verif and why I'm passionate about what Verif does. And then I also sent quite a good cover letter where I tried yeah. to like uh, explain who I am and why I was applying. And so that immediately made, made a good impression. Especially um, when you apply for a copywriter role. Yeah, exactly. You want to you wanna prove that you're creative. That you're creative and what you can do yeah. straight away. And so, yeah, they... Uh, and also, I was working to a character limit because I kept it on one page. And so they called me. I spoke to HR first. Um, and I was in. I went and did it in a coffee shop because I didn't want to do it at home. But obviously, I didn't want to. I couldn't do it in the office. Uh, but they called me and spoke to me on the phone. And uh, just the hate. I feel like the the recruiter interview at, at first is just to check you're sane. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's true. And real. Um, and so they called me up and had like a, a chat for half an hour. And they said, "Oh, yeah, like you'll hear from us." And so then I came and met the CMO at the time, whose name was Treen. Uh, and uh, as I said, we interviewed in this room. Uh, and yeah, she. We're but, at the Verif, by the way. Yeah, we're in the Verif office, yeah. Uh, and uh, because she knew Gustav quite well, yeah. uh, she knew what Zolo was like. And so 
we did the interview, we talked about different, like my view on copywriting, marketing, like the, the kind of the obvious stuff you would touch on and SEO as well. Um, and then I remember she sort of said to me, look, this job will be more pressure and will be more stress than the job you've been doing for two and a half years. Uh, and that's not <clears throat> that's not meant as kind of a fence to Zolo. Zolo uh, was building up in a certain way, but it wasn't like, it wasn't millions of customers. It wasn't kind of, you're not talking millions and millions of, of it, like dollars worth of kind of company that like they, they got investment while I was there and it was kind of good, but it wasn't the level that Verif was at when I was joining. Yeah. Um, and uh, and she was like, there will be more demand on you. Uh, and obviously I was married, I had a young child and I had another one on the way as well. Uh, at the time, who's obviously she turned one uh, yesterday. Uh, oh, congrats. Thanks. Uh, but yeah, so Trine was very much like, you know, you have to prepare yourself for that. And I was like, yeah, but I said, I worked in Transwise. I think I kind of get a sense of that vibe. And I was like, I don't know, I was just excited for it because I could see from that interview and from looking at various websites, I could see that they wanted to be a different voice in quite a corporate world. And I liked the idea of that. I liked the idea of like coming and getting to be creative and getting to be funny and getting to be human and getting to try and cut through. It's one of those ones where you just feel that this is like the move that you really want. And I really wanted it. Like I really wanted the job. And it probably was obvious when Tree was interviewing me, but I really wanted this job. I was like, I know that I can be good at this. I know that I can fit in here. And it worked out really well. It did, yeah, yeah. I was, I mean, I felt... uh, I felt quite guilty because at the time when they called me uh, to tell me, to offer me the job, I was in Berlin airport on my way to Barcelona. So I was going to Barcelona to give a presentation for Zolo about e-residency businesses. And uh, I think that week it was E was that, that wasn't e-residency week because e-residency week I went to Paris uh, and they sent a few of us to different places. So it was a really nice, like I never had the opportunity to travel really. In Transwise, I went to London and I went to Tampa in Florida, which was amazing. Never been to the States before. I loved it. Uh, but basically, I'd never really had much chance to travel Europe. I'm not very well traveled. And when they were like, oh, uh, we're going to do these events in this place, this place, this place. And I had said, I would really love the Barcelona one if I had yeah. the Barcelona one. They were like, yes. Uh, so of course I'm there in Barcelona and I'm thinking oh crap I've got a new job I'm going to have to go back and tell them um, <laughs> finally I got a trip in Barcelona yeah yeah, yeah now I'm leaving uh, um, I feel like so, that was the goal <laughs> yeah and, uh, but, but like I did this presentation I think I did a I mean I think I did quite a good job because we did this it was at like a co-working space um, and then I came back and we had a training. And what was funny was I went to Barcelona. I think I came back on a Friday, had the weekend. And then on the Monday, I was going to London just for a course that I had I had basically pitched to Zolo. And I, could, I had said, look, I'd like to go on this course. Uh, would it be okay that you paid for me? And they were like, yeah, of course, do it. Um, and so the Monday, we had this training as a marketing team. And I had to take my boss aside <laughs> and say to her, um, I got off another job and I'm going to leave. And I felt so terrible because I was like, you've just paid for me to go to Barcelona and London. And I'm saying, 
yeah, but um, bye. Um, <laughs> and and I was sad because um, my manager, she had joined as kind of head of like PR. I think uh, I think that was the initial role she was given. Uh, when we still had the CMO, but when the CMO had left, she had sort of de facto become the head of the marketing team, even though it's not what she joined to do. Uh, but uh, I don't know, I was, for me anyway, I had always worked very well with her and got along very well with her, and I liked working under her. She yeah. was a good manager to me. Um, and so uh, so I felt very sad to have to tell her I was leaving. Yeah. And she was quite like, emotional when I told her and that meant a lot to me I was like oh like I felt more valued <laughs> felt really valued in that moment I was like oh wow she's actually upset I'm, I'm going that's kind of uh, quite it was just really touching moment and uh, but I basically I said look there's nothing that's going to keep me I really want to go and work for yeah. Verify I, I'm excited by the challenge and so I helped them like with looking for a new copywriter before I left, putting together like uh, the package of what that person necessarily needed. And they've now got a copywriter who's really good. And I'm really happy for them because she's an American and the work she's been doing is so excellent. And I'm like looking off from distance going, see, it all worked out okay in the end. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, so yeah, I, I then uh, left and came to Verify. And yes, you said it was a funny time because of course, February 2020, I'm in Barcelona. Beginning of March 2020, I'm in London for a day. <laughs> and so I think I must have come back on the 4th of March. And what, eight days later, the whole world, Estonia in particular, went into the, the state of emergency and everyone was like, oh, great. <laughs> because, yeah, I remember when they called me yeah, at the airport in Verif, they said, oh, you're, you're brave traveling at the moment. And I was like, am I? <laughs> because, of course, Corona... Yeah. Corona existed, and at the time, you almost felt like you were in a bubble, that you were like, okay, it's around, but you know, but it's mostly in Wuhan and in China, and it was spreading. Like, I think it was in Europe. It was almost certainly in Italy. Yeah, it was the thing that was building up in Italy at the time. And Spain, I think, had cases, but it wasn't too badly hit. Uh, but, you know, but there were people on the plane case, wearing yeah. masks, not yeah. many, like two or three. Oh, okay. uh, and so I thought, I was thinking, oh, okay, okay, people wearing masks, okay. You know. But it was so weird times. I thought it would just go for two, three weeks max. Well, everyone did. I think, yeah. I think a lot of people thought, okay, but you know, we've, we've done uh, SARS, we've done bird flu, we've done swine flu. Yeah. Like in my life, thinking about the sort of illnesses that have happened that have like promoted this uh, fear that the media likes to push I mean and of course Corona is something to be taken seriously you've had it I've had it <laughs> we've both had it uh, uh, but obviously like the the furore that comes out like I remember when I was a kid there was a thing called mad cow disease in England which is a problem to do with the beef and people were like oh you don't want to eat infected beef and there was a big thing on the news and then yeah I remember avian flu that like bird flu was a really big thing and swine flu and this just you just thought oh it's going to be the same yeah. thing that is there's going to be some cases and then it's going to disappear is maybe the wrong word but but ultimately We'll get things that we'll get yeah. we'll either get used to it or we'll eradicate it or it will kind of go back to low level like things will go back to normal. 
and things did not go back to normal. <laughs> this <laughs> is the normal. We, yeah, we went, we went very far from normal. This is the new normal. Uh, but yeah, then you started the job at very. I did. So yeah. So basically, times I left. Uh, I left Zolo via Zoom call, and I joined Verif via Zoom call. Um, so I left uh, Zolo on April the first. That was my last day, and then I started in Verif on April the sixth. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was it was really hard because the thing about Zolo. If there were moments where maybe the job was like not the challenge I wanted or could be frustrating or there were problems, ultimately the thing that made that place was the team and the people. And I'm still very good friends with a lot of people I worked with there. And I really like loved loved them. They were great human beings. And the fact I couldn't have like a moment with them in person before I left was really hard. And I had to do it on a fucking Zoom call from my lounge. Like it felt, uh, you almost lacked closure, um, which was, yeah, that was actually tough. And then the fact that then I was starting this new job that I was very excited about, and I'm not getting to meet anyone in person. And so, yeah, I, I didn't end up coming in until June. I think we reopened the office in May, didn't we? Mid May. I think it was June. Yeah, but I came in, so I came in at the beginning of June. Yeah. And it, I think I've said this to you before that you realize very quickly that on Zoom, you don't get a perspective of how tall anyone is. <laughs> so you know what someone's face looks like. But you don't know, like, when they're standing in front of you. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, people were, like, taller or shorter than I thought they were. <laughs> and, like, one of my teammates, when I was going to our bit of the office, she turned and looked at me and went, like, it took her a second, and she went, oh, it's you. Yeah. Like, you, you, you're someone I've been working with for two months, but I've never seen you like this in full. Um, and, uh, and, yeah, so it was kind of a weird a weird sensation that yeah actually the only person on the team I'd met was Treen yeah. for the first couple of months yeah, in yeah. the interview um, and yeah so there was a lot of Zoom calls there was a lot of like trying to keep the togetherness um, but I guess in there if you have more like it's kind of different role it's not it's not a different you're still like a it's still kind of same but different in the way that like you do a lot more videos you're more in like spotlight yes uh, and there you had to like travel it, in London Barcelona yeah yeah well I mean the travel wasn't that much <laughs> like I wish it was more that would have been amazing but yeah just no, I, well I did and they knew uh, Zolo knew that I had had this acting training that I was very willing to do kind of video content because I'd done in Transferwise I had done a few videos of screen recordings for FAQs that I'd just done off my own back that I was like, we need this explanation. If I do it as a video, it's going to be easier. And we just whacked the logo at the beginning and the end. And it wasn't very high tech, but it worked. Um, and then I also hosted uh, one of the summer days before I left, which was brilliant. My God, what great experience that was. I really loved it. Uh, again, on stage, give me a microphone. I'm going to be really happy. <laughs> um, but uh, with another English guy and the two of us, we, we're friends anyway, but we had a very good rapport that uh, I think I was the straight man to his funny man. Um, and he's like, just, we scripted a lot of stuff and we did a lot of like kind of stand-up comedy style, style stuff and we had real fun. And so I went into Zolo with this attitude that, look, I have this ability if you want to 
uh, use it. And so I did do some video content for them, which again was sort of voiceover and screen recording. Uh, but then I did also, when we started doing webinars, yeah. they were like, we need someone to host webinars. And I was like, I'm here. This is my moment. <laughs> um, and so I would like host the webinar and then we would have someone from our sort of onboarding team who would answer the customer questions. Um, and yeah, I love doing them. Like it was just, it was a fun opportunity to kind of bring this energy and bring something that I like doing uh, to an element of the work. Um, and so again, uh, I think Gustav had said to Tree before I came to my interview, he said, he was like, Patrick is very comfortable in front of a camera. If you have a chance to be in front of a camera, do it <laughs> because it will really pay off. Um, and so, yeah, when I joined Verif, uh, I mean, it took us a little while to start making video content, but then we've started doing video content. We've done one webinar so far, although we definitely want to do more. But yeah, we were doing videos about like, how like doing our verification flow and assisted image capture and I did interviews with Carl and Yana. Yeah, I really like that uh, the founder story that you did. Yes, Carl. yeah, and it was like it's yeah. fun to like obviously I'm bringing that thing that I love to do is like being in front of people and it, it's not performing in the same way because I'm me, uh, I'm not being a character, but like doing something that serves that purpose is really fun. Um, but I'm still doing copywriting, of course, yeah. like that's still sort of, that was still the primary role I was brought in for. And of course, yeah, it took us a while to start doing video content because no one was in the office. <laughs> um, but uh, but then as once they were, and once things had sort of calmed down to a, a safe enough degree, yeah, we shot a lot of like different yeah. video ideas. And speaking of videos, the latest one <laughs> that you have is announcing uh, a new funding round, mm -hmm. them, which brings new opportunities to the company, uh, huge growth. I guess we will get more people in your team. How do you feel about all that? Yeah, well, <laughs> uh, it's thrilling. I mean, obviously, look, it was public news uh, that in May, so I'd been here a month when we had the uh, redundancies from the company. Um, and that was that was in the press, so it's not it's not a, we talked about before. It's not a trade secret, um, <laughs> but a lot of, a lot of companies experienced uh, challenges that came about uh, because of COVID or were exacerbated exacerbated because of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, and I think Verif would say, you know, they they like they weren't unscathed by this. And as much as I think that what happened with the redundancies was probably uh, not inevitable, but it was like a side effect of the fact the company had grown a lot. And then suddenly they almost had too many people for what they needed in that moment. Um, uh, they had to then kind of let people go, which, yeah, what was funny was I had only been here a month, so I didn't really know any of the people who were then let go. <laughs> Um, and so I didn't experience it as emotionally as a lot of people did. Like a lot of people in the marketing team, particularly the ones who had come up through VS, uh, the verification team, it's really hard for them because like load of their mates left and, and, uh, and it was just like click and they were gone. Um, and of course, like when something like that happens, you're thinking, Oh God! Uh, it's like responsibility. Yeah, is everything going to be okay? <laughs> like as a marketing team, you think right? We really need to kind of get the company thriving. Um, 
and then yeah and then this funding round brings back a sense of if not security then at least this belief that okay what Verif is doing is necessary and needed and they're really good at what they do and like I'm not someone who's an expert on venture capitalists or VC firms but I do trust people when they say that like the the people who are investing in us uh are kind of really knowledgeable and know what they're doing and they're picking Verif because they clearly see it's a good Absolutely. Person. And if when somebody gives you $69 million, yeah. it's a validation you do something right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and you know, they talk to, uh, they seem to talk to so many people in the company. It's yeah. not like they're not just talking to Carl. Yeah. They're talking to people from all of the management team is different to kind of understand the different facets of the company and they have to do all of this due diligence before the money basically hits your bank account. Um, and uh, yeah, it's like just, it is, a, I think for me, it's, it feels great to work in a company that is kind of has this upward mobility and is on this uh, trajectory to do really well and uh, to become ultimately a big, if not the biggest player in this industry. But I imagine for someone, for Carl, who started the whole thing, I'm like, it must be amazing to kind of, I mean, he obviously believes in Verif, but for other people to come and say, this idea you had back in 2015, this idea is really good. The way you're executing is really good. And we believe it so much that we're going to put all this money in, in the belief that we will get this back one day because you're going to make way more than this um, and that's like that's very exciting and yeah to do that video as well was cool we did an internal video which obviously isn't public but then we did the external yeah. one uh, where we uh, where we're yeah basically saying to the world these investors uh, believe in what we're doing we believe in what we're doing and you know if you think cool, yeah, yeah if you think Vera could be cool and could be a good fit for you then uh, apply because that's great um, and yeah like more people will join the marketing team I interviewed a copywriting candidate actually last week because now I've now been given the title of content manager um, I'm still doing writing as well but it kind of encapsulates a bit more of the other stuff that I've done uh, but we'll then bring on a second copywriter and the candidate I interviewed last week was really excellent and like really up for it and I was like you see if Verif kind of is attracting that caliber of people we really are doing something right yeah. that people are kind of coming who clearly fit the values they're not just joining because they're like oh money <laughs> they're joining because they see that we're kind of they're we're doing like good things. Things. Yeah. yeah yeah so it's um like so yeah definitely take a look at very blog page <laughs> very nice piece of content well from, well yeah i mean <laughs> depends, uh <laughs> From some interesting people, you know. Yeah, um, <laughs> you wouldn't you wouldn't be talking about yourself. Uh, um, oh yeah, <laughs> maybe you can see some of my content there too. Yes, yeah, you too. Uh, but we, uh, yeah, I mean, the marketing team sort of touches everything, and like the yeah, the YouTube channel, and then our Instagram is quite well cultivated, um, and then yeah, the blogs. Uh, and you know we try and write on a kind of diverse number of subjects like around IDV but we also do push the kind of the people out yeah, as well yeah that's what I really Employer like branding. in the content that we have that uh, this tech talent article yeah that by the way I wrote <laughs> yeah you've written a few yeah <laughs> uh, it, like it really shows what kind of people work here so it's 
easier for you before making decision to apply for verif. Yeah, you can understand you what understand. people are like yeah. and, and where they're coming from because it, yeah, it's kind of like every startup in Tallinn. And you touched on it at the beginning about the international community that uh, that all the startups inevitably have some portion of the staff that are coming from somewhere other than Estonia. So, like in Transwise, it was maybe 50-50, like fifty percent Estonian or yeah. uh, Russian Estonian or Russian or kind of from this area of the world, and fifty percent like from anywhere else. So you had uh, uh, the Brits. Like there were lots of us. There were a few. You had Brits. You had Americans, uh, Spanish, French, Italians. Uh, where there was a Peruvian guy. I once asked him, "Oh, how many Peruvians from Estonia?" I think it was like four, <laughs> um, which I loved. I was like, "You're one of oh, no, four. I know, of I your know. nationality." I know Jordanian, and there are only two. In really? Yeah. You see, <laughs> and like, uh, but then we started to add kind of Nigerians, Ghanaians. Uh, uh, my teammate who's from uh, Myanmar, uh, South Africa, my teammate who's South African. And like we had this like incredible thing of all these cultures and all yeah. these people from all these countries yeah. under one roof. Verif has the same thing. And um, a lot of people in Verif were le- relocated from their country because of Verif. Yeah, which is amazing. I mean, that in itself was amazing. In Transwise, that was not the case. If you if you went up to international people in Transwise, they rarely had moved here for the job. They'd moved here for love and then they got the job. <laughs> um, uh, but he was, yeah, for me, that was unbelievable too. These people were telling me that, yeah, last week I was in Brazil <laughs> and now I have a job. And now, I'm, now I have a job in America. Yeah, yeah. And like our new uh, VP of product, he is, I think he's British originally, but grew up in Canada, but he's just moved from the Netherlands and he moved here without even seeing the apartment. <laughs> like, that's how big of a, uh, that's how good of an opportunity yeah. he saw it as to join Verif, that he was willing to move from his place in Amsterdam to Tallinn without even knowing where he was going to. And obviously, I mean, a large part of that is the pandemic. If that wasn't here, he would have come, he would have apartment hunted, I'm sure. But, um, but yeah, like that in itself. And also, uh, I I interviewed him for our blog when he joined Duncan and uh, and the nice thing was that I I think there's a part of me that always fears when you're hiring people for sort of higher up positions you can sometimes trade out on the culture just for the fact that they're good at what they do uh, but actually talking to him I was like wow he really fits the values of this company really like he is an excellent hire for what Verif is, not just for his own experience and, and what he does in this role, but actually who he is and how he will fit. And uh, and that was like, that was really comforting because I always think it's quite easy to find like the kind of young, open-minded people who join like VS or the verification team, sorry, but to find people in kind of the upper management positions who are established, but also have that very open startup mindset it's really cool because you can hire people in upper positions who just kind of don't work yeah. and are a bit too corporate or a bit too old school and kind of inflexible in what they want to do. But you have to be willing when you're joining somewhere like Verif, like Transwise, uh, you have to be ready and willing to be like fluid and yeah. sort of say, okay, this is what we need to do to grow this company, but maybe we need to kind of pivot, maybe we need to add things, do things, and sort of, yeah, have a lot of ideas. And it really struck me that, yeah, not only was he moving from a foreign country, but he was such a good fit for the company. So I was like, yeah, 
I, I get it. Like, I get why we've hired him, and I can see probably why he's joining us. Yeah, that's so. true. Well, yeah, I mean, life in Verif is amazing. And uh, speaking of life in Verif, <laughs> and well, Estonia in general, uh, you as an international have been here for eight years already. Uh, well, you have a family and everything, so. Yeah. What would be? What are the things that you love and hate about this country? <laughs> As an hate is such a strong word. <laughs> dislike. Uh, yeah, dislike. <laughs> I think I love. Uh, I still love the fact that it's not as like hectic as London, for sure. Um, I mean, like there are always times when I will miss elements of London just because I used to say that in London, if you think of an activity to do, you think of something you want to do, you can find it. Like you can do f- everything in London. There's an option for all of it. I miss so, that so much from Barcelona. Yeah, <laughs> big capital cities, and uh, and so it's a bit harder in that sense. Uh, so, uh, uh, but I do love the kind of the space and the kind of ease of like getting around. And I really, obviously, I touched on it earlier, but the digital element of society. There's so much, so many things they do in Estonia that I look at and I think, oh, like, man, why does every country not have this? <laughs> like, my, uh, uh, everyone used to kind of pride the Estonian ID cards, but I, I do think when I got my first ID card, I was like, okay, cool. Uh, but then when I did a digital signature for the first time, I was like, wow, okay and then when I did taxes and signed off my taxes and then when I kind of did stuff like uh, what else have I done I voted in local elections because when you live here as a resident you can vote in I think the local elections but not the national Um, and so and when I'm doing online banking like obviously online banking has grown and expanded quite well in the UK since I left but when I left it wasn't anywhere near how good it was in Estonia when I came um and so, yeah, like the stuff you can do with the, the digital element of society and the fact that everything is online, like medical records are all online, taxes, like all of this stuff and voting. And, and I'm just like, it's so convenient. It's my Lord, is it convenient? And yeah, I will concede that as time has gone on, some of the websites, I'm like, ah, lads, I could do with a refresh. Uh, and I think the problem, of course, is that these are being funded by the government. The government don't have as much money as startups to hire developers. So I'm like, you could do with like getting a few developers from all the uh, startups and saying to them, okay, we want to make SD.ee a bit nicer, Better. a bit easier <laughs> to use. Can you help us? <laughs> And kind of a willing, like a willing hackathon almost. Or oh, give an opportunity for, for startups to do a service for government. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> yeah, just because some of the websites could do with like a bringing forwards yeah. or making them just a bit kind of, from a UX perspective, when you've worked in enough startups, you start to go, ah, oh, this is a bit shoddy. <laughs> but the fact it's online, the fact it's really easily accessible is really nice. Yeah. And like e-res, obviously then working for a company that works so close with e-residency, I was like, like they're just, Estonia is so on it with like using online services and making things as simple as possible. Um, that you just like going, if I moved back to the UK, in a month next week whatever uh, then I would really miss yeah. the ease that I had that I don't have to like uh, look stuff up or kind of call people go to a doctor's office or kind of like just that everything I can find 
just this all online, like like passing my driving exam. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went there, I passed my driving exam, I got my license within a couple of days. I didn't have to do anything. Like everything in terms of my driving tests is all online and like organizing everything was done online. Uh, and it was just so dead simple and all the kind of insurance, all the records, everything like, you can access everything online and they've like smart ideas amazing as well for kind of approving banking transactions and yeah so the kind of the digital element of society the fact that it's quite a calm place to live uh, the fact that Tallinn in itself is quite a beautiful city to live in yeah. like when you've only lived in uh, England and you haven't experienced that architecture of like obviously northern Europe and then having been to Barcelona I'd, again as a kid, I went to France a lot, but I'd never been to like Italy, Barcelona, that area of the world, kind of really kind of Southern Europe. Seeing the architecture there was completely fucking different. <laughs> and I was like, wow, I really like this too. <laughs> um, but yeah, like having the old town, which I think is kind of, I was watching uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier the other day and they had a scene which said it was in Riga. And I looked out and it was shot in Prague. And uh, I was saying to my wife, I said, it looks a bit like Estonia. And we were like, yeah, it's like because of the sort of Hanseatic League and all of the, the byproduct that a lot of the old towns of uh, countries around here are all built in the same style. So like looking at Prague, I was like, that could have been in Tallinn. <laughs> I'm like, you could have shot this cheaper probably from Marvel. <laughs> Come to Tallinn. Tenny oh, did. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I was watching that and I was like, uh, I was looking at the old town and thinking, yeah, I like Tallinn's old town. Like, all right, it it can be a real tourist attraction at big times of the year. But at Christmas, it is lovely to go yeah, there, see the Christmas yeah, tree, yeah. have snow. Snow as well. Oh, man, snow. <laughs> I lived in the south of England. I saw snow maybe five times in my life. I moved here in October and I had snow up to my knees. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is amazing. It's not amazing anymore. It gets more annoying. <laughs> the longer you live here, you're like, oh, I have to walk like a penguin everywhere. It takes <laughs> yeah, 20 more minutes. Um, but uh, but seeing snow for the first time, experiencing proper seasons, stuff like that, yeah. And Estonia as a country, like the different cities have different energies. That's really interesting. Like Tartu is the university city. It's the student city. Panu, Panu I'm going to say English. Panu is the, <laughs> the summer capital. Harpsalu, I really love for some kind of... I just like Harpsalu. It has this like lovely energy about it as a little city in Estonia and like there's a lot of history and also yeah the history that I've been talking to friends recently and saying in English schools you don't learn the history of like any other country you get a bit of America and a bit of France and a bit of countries that we had wars with or interacted with but you don't like I knew nothing about Estonia Famously, the only thing I knew about Estonia when I met my wife was that their goalkeeper had been a guy called Mart Poom. And I'm saying it right now. When I first met her, I went up and said, oh, Estonia, that's where Mart Poom is from. <laughs> and she was like, that's not how you say his name. Uh, yeah, Mart Poom. There we go. Because uh, I knew who he was because I'm a big football fan. He had played for Derby County and he was the Estonian goalkeeper. That was all I had. All I had oh, Estonia <laughs> was that knowledge. Um, I've still never met him. It's one of my life goals is to meet him and tell him that story. Even though I think Gustav 
going back to Gustav briefly, he had been a goalkeeper when he was young and he had played in the Estonian national youth setup. And so he knows my uh, problem. Not maybe, very well, but well enough. And I think he's told him my story <laughs> of meeting my wife. Uh, but yeah, I'd like, yeah. So that was what I had. And so learning the history of Estonia and the Baltics and occupation, what it was like having been a Soviet country from my parents in law and members of the family and the extended family and older people in Estonia. Like, you know, none of that as an English person. And you're like, you start to see this other perspective and the singing revolution and things like that. And also the singing festival. Man, if you've never been to this singing festival, go to that. Course, Don't miss yeah, the yeah. singing festival. No, it's amazing. amazing. Yeah. Like the feeling of this unity of the people. I don't know how they're going to do it next time. When is the next one? What was it? 24, I think. Oh, good. By that time, hopefully yeah. Corona is less of a concern because of 100,000 people singing in one space. Hotspot, hotspot right there. <laughs> but, um, uh, but yeah, so that's a lot of good things. Uh, bad things, the, the tough thing is that Estonians uh, can be quite tough nuts to crack in terms of their personality. So like I spoke at the beginning that the first year it's quite hard to make friends. And a part of that is that Estonians, it takes time to get through. And because I wasn't seeing people very much, it was quite hard to like meet people and like kind of get through that external barrier and inevitably that meant my my closest friends at the beginning were yeah Antonio is from America uh, Gerda's friend's husband who's called Josh from New Zealand um, and then basically international people who I met so I ended up uh, meeting guys who were at university with Gerda and it was a Dutch guy a Finnish guy a Korean guy um, uh, who was who else went to play darts with us but we had a little dance club and we went and played darts together every Friday oh, I was another Finnish guy but we were all international wasn't yeah. any Estonians <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like I've come here to Estonia I'm making friends with everyone who is not Estonian well, same for me it was so weird and I felt really guilty like I was like oh I should be you know I should have more Estonian friends yeah. and even now my little like our little community is all Estonian wives and foreign husbands <laughs> so it's me two other British guys and two other Dutch guys and we're all like very it was a very tight knit group and uh, and I'm like again like all the women are Estonian but all the men are international it's not even the other way around like a guy Estonian but the women <laughs> no no uh, but then but then because in Transwise uh, me and one of the British guys in that group uh, David started the football team yeah. who were FC Transwise who were still playing and uh and then because Estonians came to play with us inevitably do oh, make yeah, the yeah. friends through that because they are interested in football they do understand why you like it and uh, and so yeah as a result like I have friends who are Estonian who are kind of uh, like closer because of the football team or then I have some Estonian friends who I know through Gerda's like friends um, but yeah it was like I think it's this byproduct, like I said about the history of being an occupied country and having years where you could you didn't know who you could trust. I can't imagine, like as an English person, I can't quite imagine how that feels that at 
and the generation now, my wife's generation, like she was born in 92, so it was a free country already. But ultimately, if that was the mindset of your grandparents and your parents, yeah. it's going to rub off whether or not you kind of want it to. It's very hard to switch that off and you're going to learn the history of your country and you're going to have that. So it's not, I don't think they don't trust international people or, but there, there is a kind of natural first wall to get through it's like a mindset and yeah going your and it's way. completely you kind of understand as a byproduct of yeah. you know decades of being ruled or hundreds of years being ruled by other countries when you're a free country you want to uh, maintain your culture and your your language as well but maintain what makes you Estonia but they are kind of you can see with younger Estonians like the next generation that's starting to come down they're starting to be a bit more international and it's kind of yeah just finding that balance I suppose because like England and London is an incredibly diverse city and, and it's better because of it um I, I'm not going to get into Brexit, but obviously I, I think it was a completely dumb idea in the first place. In fact, every, that, every British I've met, yeah, but, same but, but I think you can find a lot of people who, who did vote for it and who had. There are certainly some people who have very valid reasons for why they voted for Brexit. I think actually, but but ultimately, like closing yourself off as an island from all of these different people, particularly when you have people from all these other countries where you are already, like just, it's sort of, uh, to me, it's like this spike, cutting off your nose to spite your face, like you're just going, no, we, there's this idealized view of Britain that people want, want to take the power back, want to take our country back. And and I was watching a Trevor Noah stand-up thing the other day and he went, who from? Who's, who's taking it from you? No one's taking it. And uh, yeah, I, yeah, I won't get into Brexit, but it's, I'm, I'm not pro-Brexit. Obviously, I live in a European country. It'd be weird if I was. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, so it's that willingness, I suppose, to l- allow the kind of diversity to come into your country and, uh, and enhance it rather than taking away from what you are. So as long as people come in who like Estonia for Estonia and yeah I, I can talk I'm still terrible at the language but uh, but I do appreciate the culture and I, I appreciate the history um, that that is behind this country and so like I think they have to realise that people will come here and they'll want to make a life here and you have to embrace that yeah. and it's quite a small country as well and I remember there were periods they've talked about periods where loads of people are leaving Estonia and they're like, no, 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 please don't go. <laughs> We're already small. Um, please come back. And it's not that small. I mean, like, c- compare it to kind of other populations, it's what, 1.6-ish million now. Um, but you should grow Estonia and you should grow its reputation throughout the world because it is a great place to live. Um, and uh, and it's a great place to live for international people as well. So it's like... That's true. There's that too. But yeah, just there's still that byproduct that Estonians can be uh, tough. Tough oh, to yeah, see, it's, it's developing. Yeah. But finally, um, to wrap this podcast up, and uh, it's a very interesting interview. Uh, well, you know, the last question I ask <laughs> to people usually is, what would be your advice to everybody who want to become a copywriter and start working for Verif in your team? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> how, how should they start? Like, imagine people that have no experience in copywriting, they don't know anything. 
I think so I think first the first thing you have to have is you have to have a willingness and a passion for writing so you have to want to write no matter what it's about because if you're going to write for other companies you have to have a basic like skill set in terms of like writing obviously most companies that's going to be in English but obviously if you are Spanish and you speak Spanish and you go to a company who needs a Spanish copywriter perfectly it's transferable obviously for me it's my my skill set in Estonia is good for the companies that want to speak in English, um, but get comfortable writing in your uh, language, and then uh, look into like there's so much online about copywriting and good copywriters, and you have to learn about tone of voice because how you talk and how uh, a company talks will be different, so you have to be able to be adaptable as well in the sense that. So it's worth trying to write in different styles. So there's that formal style, and then there's very informal, there's how you talk, there's how people talk as a broad term. Um, but there's that, there's like tons of good books on copywriting as well. Uh, there's, I'm reading a book at the moment called The Choice Factory, which is about human behavior and behavioral science and how people choose what they buy. Because of course the difference, that was the first thing I had to overcome was I went, what is copy? <laughs> um, and the difference is the copywriting copy is words that you're writing to sell something yeah. as opposed to just words. Um, words so, is content. Yeah, words as in content. Uh, uh, and like just writing, being a writer of a novel. Ultimately, you want people to write a book, yeah. uh, buy the book, but they're buying the book for the story. They're not buying. The, they're not buying a product um, in the sense that you're not selling them something. You're just kind of giving them entertainment. Uh, but uh, with copywriting, yeah, your your words should ultimately drive home a sale. Um, so you have to or understand. Or do some action. You have to. Make yeah, them you're making something. them do something. Yeah, and so uh, in most cases, yeah, that's leading to a sale or leading to a sign up for a webinar or leading them to sign up for a website. Um, and so it's understanding like how to write in different tones or like to pitch yourself. And then you also want to understand whether you want to be a copywriter in a company or a freelancer because they're two very different distinct. Uh, uh, distinctive uh, disciplines because as a freelancer you have to learn how to sell yourself really well and like what makes you different what is it that you do as a copywriter ultimately I think most copywriters they will have their niche because so, some people are very good at technical writing some people are very funny some people are very like good at email marketing like some people are very good at writing for certain structures but uh, what is the thing that you do that's necessarily better than the competition and who could you write for like what other companies do you think you should kind of reach out to first to kind of get that and then understanding how to reach out in a unique way because of course i i've had a lot of messages on linkedin since we announced the funding from people like if you need extra content for your blog um, and honestly part of the reason i haven't replied to a lot of them is i just don't have time um but uh but it's kind of how do you engage people in the right way if you're going to be a freelancer. But if you're going to write for a company with that element, the nice thing is that you can join the company and you can sort of learn as you go and adapt as you go. And either they will have a style guide which will help inform you or you will have built the style guide. And uh, Transwise's style guide is 
brilliant. And that guy I mentioned at the beginning, Ivan, who was the first copywriter, he was a large part of writing that first style guide. And it's lovely. It's like short and simple and really explains how transferwise speak. Um, and so there's that as well. Like, so familiarize yourself with interesting style guides. Uh, and I follow a lot of people on LinkedIn who I really like admire as copywriters, like what they're doing and the stuff they're producing. I'm just like, yeah, that's what I aspire to be. Um, so uh, it's finding that kind of, it's the same thing. It's like when I wanted to be an actor and I looked at Johnny Depp, being a copywriter, I look at good copywriters uh, who I just think, yeah, the stuff you're doing. And also working, working marketing more broadly, I look at people who do marketing really well or that I really respect. And so there's that as well. And then, yeah, it's just kind of try and write stuff. So a good way to get in is if you're working in a company, you can look at like, is there anything I can do for your marketing team? Have they got a copywriter? Is there someone who could mentor me or help me in that direction? Or if you're not in a position to do that, is there a way you can try and get little freelance roles for friends or for smaller businesses where you can see they don't have this function yet? And hey, can I help you send out an email? Can I help you write a blog? Can I help you with your website? Like, look for the opportunities because there's always, I think, like in Estonia, there's a startup seems to start every 10 minutes. Um, there's always people who actually need this function. And uh, yeah, a bigger companies will want to take, uh, will want someone established, but smaller companies, if you show a willingness to learn, if you show that you have like, a portfolio of stuff or you've got examples or you've got ideas then I think they're more open to kind of taking a chance on people because I think the startup mindset is helping someone grow yeah. from sort of a junior standing into being very good as a senior rather than uh, needing to find someone established and then ultimately yeah like whether you stay in a company whether you're a freelancer whether you then ultimately go and work for a marketing agency which is a different thing which i haven't experienced but uh but it is in my mind that maybe one day i'd like to do something like that uh, because then you're working different voices every day because you're writing for so many different companies uh, so it's a completely different challenge um but yeah so i think the thing is like you have to like writing, you have to like reading because that kind of expands your vocabulary and it keeps your mind in that sort of like the right place, I think, as, as a good writer. So uh, yeah, love writing, love reading, willingness to learn, openness, kind of ad ad uh, adaptability in terms of your tone of voice. And then yeah, like LinkedIn is so good for this stuff. Like look on LinkedIn for good copyrights because there's loads of them. Uh, the people I follow, because you know I'm on a podcast, why not name check people? So I follow a guy from the UK called Dave Harland, who did a webinar recently, and it's fantastic, all about writing copy for social media. And he's very funny, like that's his thing. Yeah. He's funny. Uh, he he has a very sort of informal, fun style, and he's from Liverpool, so he has a very Scouse accent, which I love. The Scouse accent, I find it like there's such kind of genuine character just in that voice but he also knows what he does and he does it so well and his LinkedIn content is hilarious and he does a weekly newsletter and it's the one email I get every week that I read from beginning to end because it's worthwhile um, but there's him there's a guy called Dan Kelsall who's in a who runs a marketing agency called Offended um, and he's basically just non 
he's non-apologetic about the fact that he's a very excellent marketer, but he's not going to compromise who he is and their style. So they, they swear and they're very sort of bold and brash and like, yeah, they, they're not here to be corporate. They're here to like get your message across and get people to pay attention to you because if you think you're good enough and you want to work with them, then they're going to deliver. Attention, yeah, attention is very important. Yeah, and so, yeah, there's them, and then, uh, God, who else? Uh, there's a lot of good designers I follow, um, and then there's Eddie, is it Shellner? I, I don't know how to pronounce his name, because I've never heard of it. Uh, but he, he's the founder of a website called verygoodcopy.com, and he's very good. Verygoodcopy.com, but no, says says what he thought of the team. But yeah, he's really good. And then the the webinar that Dave Harlan did was with a group called the Marketing Meetup, and they do webinars every Tuesday. And they're all like, if you're interested in marketing, they're excellent. Um, you'll learn something new every week. Like you could, there are some that you'll want to go, and some that you won't want to go. But they're all recorded and all on their website, so you can watch them all back. Um, but yeah, and oh, and of course. Uh, that course I went to in London after Barcelona was with a guy called Mark Gaysford, who he was running a recruitment company called Red Sprout. And him and his uh, his colleague Olivia uh, did, uh, he's Olivia, right? I'm going to check that in a minute <laughs> so that we get it right. Uh, uh, they did all their marketing via video on LinkedIn. And it's just him talking to the camera, or the, the, it isn't just that, that, he did a lot of different things. But they would make a video on LinkedIn every sort of a few times a week and they got millions and millions of views and all of their business as a recruitment firm was inbound. They didn't do any outbound calls. Uh, Everything they did was inbound, uh, which for a recruitment firm is remarkable. <laughs> it's amazing. So the thing I went to in London was his first ever boot camp which is a LinkedIn bootcamp, like how to sell yourself on LinkedIn. And I loved his content so much. That I was like, I want to go and hear him talk about this and how they did it and how they approached it. But ultimately, the main message is just be human, be yourself. Like people buy from people. People aren't going to buy from the business. They're going to buy from you. Um, and now they're not a recruitment firm anymore. They're, uh, they do marketing for other companies because he's so good at this they're yeah. so good at this yeah. and uh, yeah like so they've pivoted from being a recruitment company to a marketing <laughs> good to have that kind of yeah. flexibility in yeah. terms of your yeah. talent you know oh, now I'm gonna yeah so they're now they're now Red Sprout Media and like they help other companies to do what they did so well so yeah and his content is still amazing as well they're still doing really good stuff um, that's amazing yeah. All right. Um, thank you very much. <laughs> no worries, Richard. It was a pleasure, man. Uh, it was uh, yeah, very good to have you on the podcast. I was really looking forward to this conversation. Um, thank you very much for listening. See you next time. Thanks for listening. Follow us on your favorite social media and check out the next episode. Ta-da!